And here in this space, we're going to have fun as we turn to, to God's word. We're going to turn our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope that you'll turn with me there, 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you don't have your Bible with you, the words will be on the screen, and you can follow along as we together hear the very word of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. David's men said to him, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe, and he said to his men, The Lord's anointed. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord's judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoer, doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. 
you have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is God's word. It's offered to us today in his reading and in his hearing, and we all give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you pray with me? Well, Father God, we are grateful to be in your presence. As your word says, where two or more are gathered in your name, here you are in our midst. And so, God, we just pause and we recognize your presence in this space and in this place in time with us. And so, God, I ask that you would begin to work and move in only ways that you can, God. That you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and eyes to see whatever it is you have for us this morning. Because, Father, we, we want it. We want you. We want deeper intimacy with the God who created us. And so, Father, we love you. And we trust you and we give you this time. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So I've said for the majority of my life that anything that I have accomplished, my siblings have come behind me and topped it. You know that song, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. That has kind of felt like the anthem of my siblings towards me. And to be fair, not in a malicious way. They are not saying this to me. That would be a different story entirely. (laughs) However, uh, my, my brother and sister are just profoundly incredible. I think about my younger brother. He... Uh, We have a joke in our family that says, you cannot make Mason care about something that he doesn't, but the things that he cares about, he is 150% in. And for him, growing up most of his life, his investment has been sports. And to kind of sum up his athletic achievements, his senior year of high school football His team had just made it into the first round of playoffs, and unfortunately and tragically, he tore his ACL in the middle of that game. When my brother had to come off the field and come out of that game entirely, 
Four players had to replace him coverage-wise for the rest of the game. Yeah, he was an animal. And of course, too, after he tore his ACL and after surgery, he rehabbed so well and so quickly that he made it back in time just a couple months later for his senior year baseball season to be the starting pitcher. As he was being scouted collegiately for both football and baseball. And then you have my sister. Uh, We'll call her the jack of all trades and the master of them all. Truly, she is brilliant. Top of her class with seeming ease. Competed in choir competitions every year and her herself an astounding athlete. She has held the record at my school for the most number of digs in a volleyball season. Also in basketball, she is the number two highest scoring athlete for a number of three-point shots in a single game. Her coaches would often come to me and say, Megan, you know, I really wish your sister Kenzie would have gotten your height because it really doesn't seem like you're using it. <laughs> Rude, but. <laughs> so all of this to say, my brother and sister are amazing and to this day are just incredible humans that I get the honor of calling my siblings. But yet I'll tell you, especially uh, throughout our primes in high school, um, I have to say, as their older sister, watching their success was a little bit conflicting for me. Rather than solely bursting at pride in adoration for their incredible achievements, I felt threatened. I felt threatened that somehow their success diminished mine. It even got to the point that when I went off to college and they were still competing in sports and doing all of these things in high school, I didn't come back often to watch them. On one hand, because I was weirdly concerned about being a high school hero, like someone who never moved past high school. But on the other side, more predominantly so, I didn't know how to handle their success. And so I removed myself from it most of the time. How petty, right? And how sad. Jealousy is a joke. Jealousy makes a mockery and a monster out of us every time. Because the truth is, we can't celebrate what we envy. And we will never be able to look at the life before us, the gift of life given to us as a gift, if we're consistently jealous of the perceived abundance of others around us. And, and as we dive into the story today in 1 Samuel, I just can't help but think that maybe if Saul, 
had seen his life, the opportunity given to him as king of Israel, as a gift to honor. Maybe, maybe he would have put his energy into stewarding that well rather than being constantly worried that somebody was going to take it from him. Maybe then his jealousy of another would have turned into love and celebration for a brother. And so in our text today, we are jumping into a pretty wild story. And I just have to say, I am convinced that the book of 1 Samuel may be the most beautifully narratively written book of the Bible. And so if you haven't had the chance to just sit down and, and read 1 Samuel, I really encourage you to because it is so much fun to read. And so in the book of 1 Samuel, in earlier chapters, we see Israel begging for a king. Begging through Samuel, who is both a prophet and a judge, to God saying, please, please, please give us a king. And after lots of warnings about what that might look like if Israel was given a king, God anointed and appointed a king. And that was Saul. And after 1 Samuel chapter 11, once Saul has become king, we see this repetitious pattern over and over and over again where Saul goes against the Lord's command, is disobedient to what is being asked of him. And then here comes Samuel to tell him, hey man, you're still not doing it right. You rebuking him left and right because he is not honoring the Lord with the gift that he's been given as king. Until finally, Samuel comes to him again and says, hey, listen, because of your disobedience, of your clear going against what the Lord has commanded of you, the Lord is seeking out a man after his own heart to be raised up as king of Israel. Enter David into the story. David, a humble shepherd boy who grew in love and admiration from the Israelite people as he displayed over and over again such faith and bravery in battles like David and Goliath, the story that we've heard growing up. In many other battle scenarios, he just consistently over and over again with great faith, with great humility and great bravery gave honor and glory to God. And so as we see David being lifted up and lifted up and lifted up, we see Saul grow bitter and bitter and bitter. And his bitterness drives him to the point of anger and his anger drives him to insanity and his insanity leads him to pursue David's life. He's going to kill him. Because he's watching the kingdom slip from his fingers. 
And so that's the place that we've entered into the story today, friends. Saul on clear pursuit of David's life. And so entering into the text, we see Saul going into this cave unknowingly right into where David and his men are hiding. And you think about David in this scenario, this is like best case scenario, right? I mean, the guy that is seeking to be a murderer to murder you has just now walked right into your hands for you to have the opportunity to kill him before he clearly kills you if given the chance. I mean, he couldn't have planned this trap any better if he had even planned it. And in David's men that were with him were encouraging him, taking liberties with quoted promises to urge David and say, yes, this is God delivering Saul into your hands It is your right and responsibility to kill him. But what does David do? David creeps up, creeps up to him, gets close enough to kill him, and just cuts off a corner of his rope. And immediately, immediately, David is grief-stricken. His conscience is overburdened. And he proclaims to his men, he said, Saul is the Lord's anointed and appointed king, and I will not dishonor him. I have just dishonored him even by just the cutting of his robe. You will not attack him. We will not kill him. Wow. This is huge. I mean, place yourself in David's shoes. Not only do you not kill the man who has every intention of killing you, but you feel badly for cutting off a piece of his robe. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. Because, listen, y'all, I have sought deliverance in my own life for a whole lot less than someone trying to kill me. Okay? But if this isn't crazy enough, what happens next in the story is truly illogical. David leaves his safety in hiding and covering of the cave and walks out and calls out to Saul. He calls out to Saul, and not only does he do that, he doesn't come up to Saul with a sword in his hand, ready ready for protection. He comes and he puts himself to the ground in a humble act of honor, surrender, and faith and trust in God. And in this brave and humble encounter, David is conversing with Saul. And he says, I don't know why you are trying to harm me. I've done nothing wrong, but I am not seeking to harm you. And look here in my hand, this piece of cloth. I was close enough to harm you, but I didn't. But I didn't. 
What trust and faith David is displaying in this encounter with Saul. In the honor that he is giving to Saul in the midst of this potential life-ending danger. And David, in this encounter, in this conversation, remarks two different times that the reason why he is not seeking his own justice and his own vengeance is in this moment is because he believes that God is the judge. And that he will leave that work to the one who righteously sees all. I had a job several years ago that was really, really tough for me for a multitude of reasons. I felt uh, ill-prepared, under-supported, and truly like I had just been thrown into this leadership position set up to fail. And so when the opportunity came for me to have another job, I didn't really want to do just the, hey, here's my two weeks notice, you know, do the normal honorable thing. I really desired to walk up in there and say, deuces, figure it out, everybody, or something worse. Because honestly, I felt like I'd earned it. And, and I felt like I had earned the right to treat them as equal or less than how I felt they had treated me. But I will never forget this continual nudging of the Holy Spirit, a thought that would enter my mind and it would never leave. It was like a record on repeat over and over and over again. Saying, Megan, as much as it depends on you, leave well. Leave with honor, respect, dignity, and integrity. And I was so angry. I was so angry. I was so mad. Because that is not how I wanted to handle the situation. I wanted my own justice. Because also in some ways I felt like if I didn't do exactly what I just described to you as desiring to do. That they were somehow getting away with treating me unjustly. And that just didn't seem fair. But by the Spirit of God continuing to press this on my heart, I, I followed him. And as much as it depended on me, I fought to leave well and to honor everyone involved and to do the work of reconciliation together. And after years removed from that experience and me myself having walked in paths where I operated in a way that honored the Lord, 
And in times where I have sought my own justice, there is something so apparent to me now that I wish would have been apparent then. Is that the best that I will ever feel, or we will ever feel, in seeking our own justice is in a flashing moment. And we only feel worse after that. But yet, what is also true is that the worst that we will ever feel in fighting for reconciliation and restraint is in the current, present fighting moment. And after that, we just continue to grow in experiencing peace. And I believe that's evident in the story Today of David, we see him, we see him for even just a moment give in to leaning away from restraint and leaning into self-justice, self-justification. And I, I picture it as, as as soon as he cut the cloth, before the cloth even hit the ground, conviction and regret. As he's watching his trust in God, in his honor of Saul, fall to the ground. And yet what we also see is that in the midst of danger and in this potentially being hard and being very, very difficult, we see David choosing to wrestle for reconciliation through radical restraint. And the worthwhile release that comes from humble obedience, no matter what the outcome is. Because the truth is, David had no idea what was going to happen when he left that cave and approached Saul. Because we are called as believers to seek justice and to advocate for those who are oppressed, to speak out and stand up for injustices that we see very clearly happening in and through the lives of people around us. And we're called to do that as instruments being used by God, by your God who is a just God that is calling us to seek out justice while at the same time, we are called to trust God. Trust that God will bring justice by the power of his spirit. And through that same spirit, through the power of others, for injustices done to us.
And if we all lived like this, think about it. If we all lived like this, we wouldn't seek for justice to come. We would celebrate because it already came. Ultimately, as believers, there is a grounding truth in Scripture that we are not called to be our own vindicators. Scripture says that the Lord will fight for us. We need only to be still. And what the enemy wants to distort as justification, the Spirit of God reminds us we are justified. And our journey as believers of seeking to honor God with our lives looks like loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, and blessing those who persecute us. We see this encounter with Saul and David end on a really happy note. I mean, both lives are spared. Nope, nobody died. And actually, there was an oath made between both of them providing peace, restoration, and reconciliation. But church, you and I have lived life. We have experienced some things. And so we're very aware that walking out this life in, in ministry of reconciliation, it does not always go like this. It does not always end in a happy ending or the way that we would have desired it to. Heck, if we were to continue on in the story of 1 Samuel, we would see that this moment of peace was simply just that. It was a moment of peace. So what do we do with this? What is this all for? What is this worth? Our reward for a ministry of reconciliation is a deeper connection with the God who reconciled us to himself. As we lean in to humble restraint for the sake of reconciliation, we are reflecting our Savior as he held back wrath to the point of death as the wrath of sin fell upon him. In Jesus, we have an unwavering example of someone who chose to fight for connection when division was the easier way. Because the divide was wide. But yet Jesus stepped out and stepped inside. And just as David knew not taking Saul's life might mean the giving of his own, Jesus gave us the gift by saying, no, I'll, I'll be the one. I'll make a way so that all might have a chance to come home. 
David trusted in the God who was just to justify him no matter the costs to pay. And as Jesus went to the cross, he saw the price worthy as his body was slayed. David spared Saul's life knowing that it could mean that his own life was now on loan. And Jesus too spared your life and mine by the giving of his own. Reconciliation through his propitiation. Where we were made to be enemies with a dividing wall of hostility, Jesus gave us a reconciled reality. And so friends, I, I know that all of what we've discussed today can be challenging to wrestle with. But might I encourage us as just a next right step? Is that maybe we could ask the Father, ask the Lord to give us the belief that he is just. And that he is good. And that because of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we have access to the strength and wisdom of God to lead lives that seek reconciliation as much as it depends on us, no matter the cost. Knowing that it will not always be easy, it will always require bravery, humility, and faith. But that this ministry of reconciliation is always worth fighting for. <laughs> and that sometimes fighting looks like faithful surrender. As God continues to mold our hearts into love for all. From our enemies to our sisters and brothers. Let's pray. Well, Father, in this moment, we, we pray that prayer. God, we, we pray to believe that you are just. That you are good. And that because of your work, of reconciling us to you, Father, that you have given us a ministry of reconciliation to go out into the world. And that we can stand confident and secure knowing that our justifying Jesus continues to seek justice for us. And that we get to be instruments of justice to the injustice that we see around us. 
And God, we trust that you, in every aspect of our life, are continuing to lead us by your grace. As God, we're just figuring this out. Humbly, God, we will continue to walk with you day by day. Stumbling sometimes. Asking God, what does it look like for me to go one step from where I am to one step closer to who you are? God, would you help us? By your love that is extravagant. Father, we love you. And we trust you. And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.